0: Bye. I want to add my welcome to that of Pastor Julie. Welcome to those of you who have invited us into your home this morning. Welcome to all of you who are returning. I feel like every Sunday is a, a, a family reunion for me because I'm seeing one or two more persons who got their vaccines and they're back, my brother back there, sitting exactly where he should be. First time back after being gone with us for a year. So it is so sweet to see you uh, slowly making your way back. And you've been faithful online. This is the most consistent group online or in present. And I know you love your church and I know you love worship so welcome to you and welcome to you and we can't wait for you to be back and join us. Maybe Easter will be your day. A year ago if you can believe this, a year ago at this time Cindy and I were in North Carolina visiting our daughter Rachel when suddenly COVID slammed and began to slam the doors of our nation shut. We paid through the nose to catch an earlier flight back because if you'll remember at the time, we weren 't sure whether we would be stuck whether any airplanes would be flying uh, at the time, and so we kind of hustled back. And when I returned, I found my wonderful team had been hard at work, pivoting with the changes that had, we had experienced, and they had prepared for me to preach my first ever online sermon. And so a year ago today, I pre- preached my first ever online sermon and um, and it was, it, it, this is, it, you would have seen it looking very much like this. Here, now, I want to sh- let you know, though, what, what I was looking at when I was sh- preaching that first ever online sermon. Take a look. This is what it was for me. It was an empty room, a camera, and my only cheering section was the sound man back there. That was it. I had never preached to an empty room before. And I need to tell you, I didn't like it. I, I didn't know if I was connecting with you. I didn't know if you were laughing at my jokes. I didn't even know if you thought they were funny. I, I didn't even know if you were out there. That was what my experience was. It was one of the emptiest experiences of my ministry a year ago at this time. You step up, you do what you got to do. But man, it was hard for me. I missed the crowd. I missed the, 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 the feeling of being fed by the Sunday morning crowd. And I cannot tell you how glad I am that week by week the the crowd is beginning to return. I'm glad we can come to you in our homes, but I did not sign up, I'll just tell you, to be a TV teacher. I didn't sign up to be a TV preacher. I I really love connecting with a room full of people. And for most preachers, honestly, a big crowd is is one of the measures of our success. It's kind of one of our ego strokes, the bigger the crowd the more successful you are, unless you're Jesus. We are in a series called Jesus, the Subversive Leader. And one thing is clear as you watch the leadership of Jesus, his definition of success is very different than ours. In this story this morning where he calls his 12 disciples, I want you to notice how Jesus disrupts our standards of ministry success By saying no to three things. He says no crowds, no chemistry, and no complexity. What do I mean by that? Well, let's take a look at the passage and I'll see if I can unpack it for you, okay? We turn this morning to Mark chapter 3 beginning with verse 13. Listen now to the word of the Lord. And Jesus went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him. And he appointed twelve and James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. This is the word of the Lord. So in this brief story, Jesus disrupts three of our ideas of what success ought to look like. Here is his first subversive idea. No crowds. No crowds. Bigger is not necessarily better. One of the predominant definitions of success in our culture is popularity, a bigger customer base, a, a bigger market share, more likes or subscriptions than the next guy. If you have a million followers online, you are called a mega influencer, and as a mega influencer, you can command $1 million per post on your, on your site. Of course, if you only have 999,999 followers, you are a mere macro influencer, not nearly mega enough. And we pastors, honestly, are suckers for the popularity definition of success. The bigger the crowd, the better. And we will say, and we mean it, that we want more people to hear about the gospel, that we, we do mean that. But honestly, the whole size thing Can play to our basest instincts. uh, I'm a part of a group of pastors of large churches and we meet every year. And the definition of large churches is you have a thousand or more in worship on a weekend. But this January when we met, I pointed out to our group that as a result of COVID, none of us qualified to be in our own group. We shouldn't have been there. So then, how do we think about our ministry, about our measure of success, our value in ministry? How do we define success? If we define it by butts in the pews and suddenly those butts are gone, what is our sense of value, of purpose, and success? And it's not that Jesus didn't draw large crowds. He did. By the time we reach this story in the early part of Mark, the gospel of chapter 3 of Mark, We've already been told by Mark, who is typically pretty terse, he's already told us 10 times about the large crowds, the huge crowds that were following Jesus. He was massively popular, but the focus of his ministry was not the masses. It was 12 men. It was a small group, a life group as we call them here at Chapel Hill. It must have been way more exciting to have received the praise, the adulation of the thousands that were scattered across the hill as he preached there. But that was not Jesus' definition of success. His definition was a group of, a small band of apprentices who would be able to carry on his ministry without him. I will confess to you that this is a hard one for me. You've already heard it. You actually hear it from me every week because I want the crowds back. I want the people back. I want you to come back. There are 800 Chapel Hill folks who have not yet returned to in-person worship. And honestly, I miss them. As I said, it's like a family reunion every time I see one of you back. And worshiping in front of a TV, as good as it might be, it's not the same thing as being able to be here with the the rest of your church family, hearing each other sing and greeting one another. And I'm going to continue to invite you to return as you are able. But I need to be reminded from this passage that for Jesus, the discipleship that took place in a small, intimate group was the most important and strategic uh, part of his ministry. Corporate worship is important, but it is not enough. And and frankly, to those of you who only come to be a part of the Sunday crowd, I would just say that you are not tapping into what Jesus, by his own example and teaching, defined as the single most important mechanism for the discipleship of God's people. And that is a dedicated, accountable small group with an effective leader. I am thrilled to tell you that since COVID, I don't know if you heard this, but it's really one of the most remarkable statistics. Since COVID, a year ago, 500 new people in Chapel Hill have joined life groups. That may be the single greatest unexpected mark of success in this last year. I don't think it would have ever happened if it weren't for this virus. So if you aren't in a Small group, you aren't in a life group, an accountability group. I suggest to you that you are depriving yourself of the, an essential tool as defined by our master. And to the many leaders out there who have hitherto been reluctant to step forward and lead, I would just say, Your time has come. We need you. So, Jesus' model of, of success, first of all, included no crowds, and then astoundingly, no chemistry. What do I mean by that? We recently had a consultant who came in and met with us and our entire staff in order to help us increase our effectiveness in working together. And one of the things he repeatedly pounded on, he emphasized was the importance of chemistry. Every member of your team needs to share the same culture, the same values in order to create an environment that will produce the greatest success. Chemistry, chemistry, chemistry. But when you look at Jesus' 12 apprentices, you realize chemistry was not too big a concern for him. Simon Peter was an impulsive control freak. Brother James and John had a nickname which we could translate the airbags. They were loudmouthed hotheads. And then there was Matthew, the tax collector. He was a collaborator with the despised Roman occupiers. And then Simon. Simon's nickname says it all. Simon was known as the Zealot. The Zealots were a terrorist organization that were continued to the armed, committed to the armed revolution against Rome. Some of them, they would slip in in the crowds and and, and stick a knife in the ribs of a soldier and walk away. This is the kind of guy that Simon was and that he hung out with. So what do you think was the chemistry between Matthew the collaborator and Simon the zealot? Not so good, I don't think. And then there was a guy named Judas. Why in the world would Jesus, who he knew a lot of stuff, why would he... Bring a guy on board that he knew was going to betray him and betray his friend, friends. If chemistry was a mark of success, if shared values defined effective leadership, then Jesus was a failure. Unless he was more interested in what he was going to create of this motley crew than of what they brought to the game. In verse 14, it says that Jesus appointed 12 to be his apostles. Do you know that the Greek word for appointed is really made? It's reminiscent of of creation. He made. Jesus just didn't pick 12 talented guys to form a cohesive team. Jesus, we are told, chose 12 whom he could make into the men that he needed them to be. And this is enormously important for us to grasp anytime, but especially in this season as a nation, as a world. We're tempted to surround ourselves with others who are like us. Republicans want to hang out with Republicans. Democrats want to hang out with Democrats. Racial turmoil has reminded us of how little we know and understand those of a different color or different background, much less spend time with them. If chemistry is a mark of success, we're all in trouble. But Jesus, on a purpose, called together people of incredible diversity. People who even hated one another. And then, then he began to make them into his people. Those who were united not around race, or religion, or politics, or creed, or class, but around one factor. They were the fellow apprentices of Jesus Christ. Fully submitted to his recreation of them. I hope in this increasingly divided world, in this culture that is hell bent on silencing every voice of, of the minority opposition, canceling anything that is out of step, I pray that we will be the people who come together despite our differences, who even embrace them because we all understand that we need, each of us, to be remade into a disciple of Jesus Christ. It is creation, his creation, not our chemistry, that is the mark of success of the church. So no crowds, no chemistry, and finally, no complexity. When you look at Jesus' job description for his apprentices, it was pretty simple. And honestly, when I look at it, I can't help but think about Uh, how we do things here at Chapel Hill. We we have put a lot of energy into defining our goals. We have goals that are measurable, audacious, but attainable. We have 90-day goals, 120-day goals, six-month goals, one-year goal. We, before COVID, had five-year goals, but who knows what's happening five years from now. And we list all of these goals on a dashboard, which we redo, review every week. And the goals are either marked by red lights or yellow lights or green lights, depending upon our progress. If you're part of, the, of any industry, you are familiar with these instruments. <laughs> so then I look at Jesus' job description. He appointed 12 so that they might be with him and he might send them. That's it. B and send. Be and send. It is not a very complex job description. The first and most important marker of success as an apprentice of Jesus is to be with Him. He always prioritized His relationship with His disciples. Some of my colleagues pointed out to me that in this last year really as part of my coping with the pressures of covid i began to pull back i became less collaborative perhaps a little more isolated and i i think they were probably right so i have made it a priority to begin to reach out to individual members of my great team and to eat with them and share our lives together with no agenda and it has been refreshing to me and i hope and it's been a blessing to my work friends as well That, more than anything else, is what Jesus wanted from his disciples, to be with them. And so I would ask you in this season when we've had so much time on our hands, how are you doing at just being with Jesus on a daily basis, in prayer, in study, reflecting on him throughout your day? How are you doing on just being with Jesus? If you got it tucked away in one corner of the week or one corner of your day, there's probably some growth that you need there. And it's only then when you learn how to be with Jesus that you can be sent by him to do his work. And even that part of his job description wasn't very complex. It was two things. He sent them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. Of all the things he might have said, this is what I want you to do. Big, long list. He said, I want you to preach and I want you to cast out demons and I give you the authority to do that. When we spend time with Jesus, when we get to know Him and we know His ways and we know His heart, when He begins to make us by His Spirit into the people that we were destined to be, it is then that we have something to say. We can speak about Jesus from personal experience, not from book learning. We can help broken people because we can point them to the one who restores brokenness. We can... We can forgive shameful people because we can point them to Jesus who forgave our shame. In other words, we can talk about Jesus and his ways because we know him. I hear people say something like this, and check yourself and see if you've ever said that. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but just check yourself on this. People will, I've heard them say, I don't talk about Jesus. I don't talk about my religion. I just try to live it. I let my life be my witness. Ever heard that? Maybe you've said it yourself. Listen, it is good that we live a life of integrity, a life that aligns with what we say we believe, but I want to tell you something. Your good example will never save anybody. Only Jesus can. And if you don't tell them ultimately why you live the way you, are, the way you live, you are withholding salvation from them. So I would ask you, when was the last time you had a good word to speak out loud about Jesus Christ? Notice the second part of that job description is, we speak for Jesus, but we also speak against evil. He gave them the authority to cast out demons. It is true that too often Christians are known better for what they are against than for what they are for but it is clear here that at least part of our christian witness means discerning what is evil and having the courage to battle it sometimes that battle is simply speaking up for jesus and for his people and and for his ways against the bullies who are increasingly bold in their attacks i saw a TikTok this week where someone described jesus as a racist that is evil and it ought to be condemned. Sometimes this battle with evil, though, is not just with the evil around us. Sometimes this is a battle against spiritual forces. Sometimes the evil that we contend with are actual demonic spirits who are destroying lives of those that we know and love. And those forces beloved are real those evil forces are real and part of our job description includes grappling with them in the name and in the power of Jesus this is frightening it requires training and courage but spiritual warfare is a part of our calling so we are called to be with Jesus and to be sent out by Jesus to speak well of him and to do battle with evil that is our simple job description And if you were measuring the success of your own apprenticeship against these simple standards, how would you grade yourself? I have said it before, and you'll hear it again, I'm sure. I think 2020 was a great year in many ways for the church of Jesus Christ. It has stripped away our most obvious and, frankly, our easiest way to be a Christian In our culture which is joining the crowds on a Sunday morning and it has driven us into a deeper and simpler life of discipleship one in which we are invited to love those who are not like us one in which we are invited to focus on our personal relationship with Jesus in the context of a small group of fellow disciples one in which we use our words to speak of Jesus and have the courage to stand against evil Increasing evil when we find it in our culture. No crowds, no chemistry, no complexity. That is what Jesus defined as success. Keep it simple, saints. (laughs) So Holy Spirit, we thank you for this word to us today. And we pray that you would bring to our awareness, bring to our conviction those areas in which we, we do not ma- measure up to what you consider to be success. Forgive us when we, we hide ourselves in a crowd and are unwilling to be a part of an intimate group that knows and loves you. Forgive us when we, we turn our relationship with you, and, with you into a one-hour nod to God on, on Sunday mornings and then forget you for the rest of the week. For, forgive us that we don't want to be with you. Forgive us that we really don't want to be with people who don't toe the line, who don't believe like we believe. Forgive us for that arrogance. Forgive us, God, for not having the courage to speak something well of your Son. And forgive us for not having the courage to stand up to evil when we find it. It is only by you, Jesus, remaking us by your Spirit that we will be able to do these things. And so that I, I pray that we, this morning, under the authority of your word, would experience a renewing, recreating work of the Holy Spirit of God, that we might become the disciples we were destined to be. Successes in your eyes, not in our own. For we ask this in the name of Christ. And all of God's people said,